Chelsea, uh, we are recording something after we've recorded this episode because we recorded this Colin episode ahead of the SCOTUS ruling and it felt a little weird to just let it out without, I don't know, adding this addendum. Yeah. Well, it's also weird because we haven't talked about it privately even. We haven't had time to. I heard about the SCOTUS ruling on the day that I flew to Greece. So it was one of those things where like you wake up, you have like 45 minutes before the car comes. Like I didn't even have time to think about it really. I happened to be up early and I was watching the news, like the Today Show, which is kind of pre-recorded because it's live on the East Coast and then they replay it for the West Coast and they broke it with breaking news. And I was like, oh, what the fuck is this? And then I instantly knew what it was. Ugh, so fucking rough. I didn't even get to check the internet or like watch news until I was at the airport. And I don't think it really hit me until I was on the plane. And then I finally cried. And then I drank four champagnes and passed out. So (laughs) what else are you going to do, right? Yeah, I mean, I've just been in a state of kind of numbness for a week. By the way, we're not going to say anything revolutionary. We're just sort of talking this out. Speak for yourself, bitch. No, I'm definitely not going to say anything revolutionary. There are much smarter people who have spoken about this topic. We'll put links to them in the episode description. There's a podcast called Strict Scrutiny, which is a few women that are lawyers and understand the Constitution far better than we do. You think I don't understand the Constitution? (laughs) Oh, sorry. When did you get your constitutional law degree, Chell? (laughs) (laughs) Ugh. It's just this feeling. I can't even be upset about Roe versus Wade because I know what's next or what's on the horizon is they're going to do a federal ban of abortion. Yeah, it's fucked up. I mean, it's crazy because for my entire life, adults talked about Roe versus Wade being overturned like it was the worst thing that could happen. So it's crazy that it just did happen. And it's terrifying. I mean, Tad and I have a Zoom with our immigration attorney because obviously we're terrified about, what is it called? Obergefell? It's the worst name, but that was the case that obviously made gay marriage federally legal. Terrified about that being overturned as well. It just, it sucks. It sucks all around. Not to make it all about me. I love that the second that this happens, gay people are like, (laughs) I'm next. Well, I mean, Clarence Thomas did say in his own... Yeah, he went out of his way to mention it. It's like fucked up that Brett Kavanaugh was like, uh, I gotta write my own thing because this guy's like going off about contraception and gay marriage and like, I don't know if I could get there. Yeah, Lauren, enjoy your birth control while it lasts. (laughs) What do you take? yeah, baby. Uh, I mean, I I don't know what it's called, but it's a hormonal birth control. Yeah. Which is probably fucking up my body so I can't have a kid anyway, (laughs) if what I understand getting on birth control is like. If I was on hormonal birth control, I would want to be on Yaz because it reminds me (laughs) of the band. Although, isn't that the one that gave everyone like... Horrible metal, medical issues, or was that a different one? I forget. Anyway, it's days are numbered regardless. 
Yeah, obviously we're joking about this because this is the only <laughs> way we know how to deal with with trauma. But it is this feeling of their plan worked. I guess that's why I can't be upset about Roe versus Wade being overturned. I mean, I am upset, but it's like this was a 40-year plan. They were very clear about what they wanted to do. And I'm more pissed off at the Democratic Party. It's also this decision got leaked months ago and you didn't fucking come up with a plan i know the government truly has failed us at every single level i mean the supreme court is a bunch of sadistic bible thumping sex offenders the republican (laughs) party is a fucking clown show of like jowly white supremacists and the democratic party is also a fucking clown show that didn't do anything to prevent this when they had a super majority so i don't even know what to say about these people i fucking hate everyone i hate everyone i'll still vote for democrats because i think it's better than not voting at all but until we stack the house and the senate with progressives or form some sort of viable third party i don't think anything is going to change like i don't think anyone's coming to save us yeah mel ottenberg posted a tweet that was like someone recently said that the republicans are like the uvalde shooter but the democratic party is like the uvalde cops (laughs) yeah it's true. It's like the Democrats are just at the door being like, I mean, we should go in, but like, should we go in? Should we do something? These people are fucking worthless. Like, there's so much corruption and greed in the government. Like, elections are just fundamentally unfair in so many states. Like, it just, it sucks. And so many of these justices were appointed by someone that didn't even win the popular vote. So... We are either at the beginning of the end of democracy as we know it, which I would like to not believe, or we are at the beginning of a 30 to 40 year journey. I feel like we're going to get this back, but we will be in our 70s. Evil fucking Jesus freaks. No offense to our Christian listeners who are fabulous and Jesus would hate this, but fuck this. I hate this. I hate this. I hate these people. It makes me feel like Christopher Guest in Waiting for Guffman when he's talking to the city council and they won't fund his play. And he's like, I hate you people. You're bastard people. I'm surprised that more people aren't posting that clip of Mink Stoll from Desperate Living when she's having the mental breakdown. She just screams, I hate the Supreme Court. Yeah. Mink Stoll's breakdowns are so relatable to me. You know, that is how I feel inside. I increasingly feel like Laura Dern in Wild at Heart. There's a sequence where her and Nicolas Cage are driving on a back road and they keep changing the radio station and it's like worse and worse news. (laughs) And she makes him pull over and she's just like, I can't take it. You find me music. I can't hear this anymore. Is that how we we help the masses is we just put a compilation of our favorite white blonde actresses having mental (laughs) breakdowns? (laughs) I mean, truly, it's already starting because they don't know what they unleashed, right? You already have women with ectopic pregnancies coming in, miscarriages, doctors. I mean, if this story is to be believed, as I see it without a source going around uh, Twitter and TikTok of lawyers on the phone for nine hours being like, can I even deal with this ectopic pregnancy? Well, hopefully Amy Coney Barrett will have one soon. She loves having kids, so. 
Like, I had to explain to my father what an ectopic pregnancy was. And that's the more disturbing thing is I think I would be less annoyed about this if men actually understood how women's bodies worked. Yeah. Because I also think these men just think when they think abortion, they think about like a clinic and not all of the medical procedures where you need to get a fetus out in a hospital setting. Yeah. Or like, I don't know, all the rich Republican women that don't want to carry children. So they do IVF. Yeah, I know. Also, I don't see a lot of like straight guys on the internet being upset about this. Not that I think that I don't think that everyone should have to like post about whatever terrible thing happens on social media to prove that they're a virtuous person. But I kind of only see gay men posting about this and like going to the protests and stuff like every gay man I know, but like none of the straight guys. When I was doom scrolling on Twitter, someone had gone to the Reddit thread R frats and it was a guy being like, you know, we had a good run, but without abortion like we got to be careful guys we got to start using condoms again like this is a dark day and i think aoc and more progressive democrats it's like we should radicalize the frat bros (laughs) yeah you know my enemy and my enemy is my friend (laughs) people just need to get vasectomies too many people are procreating anyway a lot of people are are saying that i don't know if vasectomies are the way to go surely at least two-thirds of men shouldn't be reproducing oh for sure i think that's generous even but it also is like you and i should be having kids because if we're gonna have a bunch of more unwanted i are this was already my philosophy about having kids is like more people like us need to be out in the world Oh, great. It would be awesome if we had kids just so that they could be senselessly murdered in their classrooms. Which is another thing I just don't understand in relation to Roe. It's like, you want me to carry this fucking pregnancy to term just so my child can be murdered by some, like, unhinged loser? It's also when you start just going by the decades, even in the 20th century, it's like, we just got the right to vote in the 20th century women couldn't even have their own credit cards till like the fucking 70s maybe that's where we all went wrong you forget how recently that shit happened actually i don't think men forgot i don't think men like this yeah so what should we do like donate to some abortion funds yeah donate to abortion funds i don't think there's any protest for me to attend in mykonos I mean, am I going to have to run for local office? Is this where this is going? I think you'd be great. I think you should, actually. I'll do the branding for your campaign. My first order of business, getting those Hollywood Boulevard vans off of Mulholland Drive. (laughs) (laughs) Then we'll deal with... Then we'll deal with enshrining marriage equality and and a woman's (laughs) right to choose. But first, I got to deal with the Mulholland van tours that drive me insane. Yeah, it's okay to have priorities. I'm sure you didn't see this interview with Hillary Clinton and Gail King where Hillary Clinton is like, because you have uh, Manchin being like, I can't believe that they they lied. I can't believe oh. that during their hearings, uh, Kavanaugh and Amy Coney Barrett lied. And Hillary Clinton's like, they knew. Okay, like anyone who didn't is lying. I'm like, could this Hillary Clinton have fucking been the one running? This one seems <laughs> much cooler. Yeah, like, isn't that perjury? 
And you expect us to believe that he didn't rape Christine Blasey Ford? Like, what is this logic? Again, I hate these people. They're bastard people. Like, I really, I cannot tell if we are the beginning of the end of democracy as we know it, or this is like the beginning of Democrats getting as strategic and evil in a good way as the Republicans have. I hope so. There's no point in being nice to these people because they're fucking evil and they just want to strip everyone of their rights, so... I mean, we gotta get all of them out. Schumer, Pelosi. There needs to be fucking age requirements. (laughs) There really does. There really does. You know, when the founding fathers set up this country, wrote the Constitution, people lived to like 40 fucking five. That's why they didn't have age limits. If they knew... Yeah. Chelsea, I have to find a man to, like, fuck and love and marry amongst this. It's disgusting. It's so wrong. I'm so sorry. And I have to hope that my lovely wife isn't fucking deported. (laughs) Uh, I can't remember because we pre-recorded so many episodes, but we definitely had a joke about this a couple of weeks ago. About Tad's immigration status and believing that maybe she'd be okay because she dressed Katie for the inauguration. (laughs) Yeah, sorry if you hear us repeat jokes. We're not on our game right now. But at least we try to keep giving you guys content. Lauren had to wake up at 7 a.m. to record this. It's 6 o'clock in Greece. P.m. Yeah. Oh, I'm not waking up that early. Oh, yeah. How's your partying life in Mykonos? Are you ever coming back? I'm definitely coming back, but I don't want to talk about my trip now. It feels like really vulgar, but I am glad that I'm here with Tat's family just because I feel like if I was just home by myself, I would get really, really depressed. Oh, yeah. I've been I've spent the last week just sort of periodically staring into the void. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I did go to a nightclub last night and the the signs for the bathrooms <laughs> triggered me to the point where I cried. What? Okay, because the men's room said, man has a choice, and it's a choice that makes him a man. And the women's room said, woman should be two things, classy and fabulous. And I literally burst into tears. I was like, this is everything that is wrong with the world. I fucking hate everyone. Bastard people. Is that our new merch? Just (laughs) bastard people? I'd love to know what they would do for an all-gender restroom. (laughs) (laughs) With that mentality. If you have all the choices, don't you make no choice at all? Is I'm sure what it would say. I think it would just be more like, we really don't understand you people, but this is where you can piss. I don't know if this was cathartic for you, fuckads, but it was cathartic for us. And without further ado, we will be going into our call-in episode that was recorded in in the before times. Hi, I'm Lauren Garoni. And I'm Chelsea Fairless. And today, we are answering some questions from the hotline. Hallelujah. So lovely to get questions. Well, some of them are related to Sex in the City, but I was, um, I enjoyed the breadth of the questions that we got. Yeah. Because I think ever since I've listened to Loveline in high school, I've always kind of wanted to be <laughs> Dr. Drew. Well, I wish people would call us with more of those sorts of questions, but no one did. One person did, but... Well, maybe this will be the beginning of that. Yeah, I'd love to do more call-in shows, but I feel like we need more fun calls to make that possible, so... Wow, putting that on our listeners. (laughs) Yeah, why not? We thought the perfect first call to take since we just started the episode and the theme song played would be this one. 
Hi, Lauren. Hi, Chelsea. I'm Kalia from California. I've been listening to your podcast ever since it started. Anyway, I was curious about your intro. It's a real good vibe, but I do not understand exactly what is being said. I think it, like, the beginning starts with, what's the matter, Morty? Is that, like, from Rick and Morty? And then there's, like, this chanting in the background that goes, I think, like, Laurel and something. So I get all the other references, like um, the great gowns, beautiful gowns, but those two I can't figure out, and it's been killing me ever since you started this podcast. So huge fan, but again, I'm really confused, and it's been burning in my brain ever since you guys started. We get asked this a lot. Shall we just go through all of them? I mean, might as well. I guess it would. It might be nice to start with what the inspiration for the theme song was, which this really was your baby. <laughs> you wanted a very almost House of Style-esque theme song with different movie and TV clips related to fashion cut into it. Yeah, I wanted it to have the tone of full frontal fashion or one of those cable access shows where you watch fashion shows. Yeah, in another life, I think Chell and I (laughs) wanted to be kind of the Wayne's World of fashion and hosting a public access fashion show. And our friend Lauren introduced us to an amazing producer, Jay Israelson, who made this theme song for us. And this call reminded me that I got into a legit fight with my mother about this theme song because she couldn't understand some of the lyrics in it or some of the references. (laughs) She now completely does, but I remember being like, this is fucking important. Kathy (laughs) we're about to put the podcast live don't put that in my head but yeah we get it they're very specific references the first one of course I'm sure everyone who (laughs) listens to our podcast who came from the Instagram knows that it's Carrie saying I spent $40,000 on shoes when she can't afford to buy her apartment the second one which is what the caller asked about is what's the matter Morty can't you buy her a whole dress So that is Bette Midler in the First Wives Club talking about... Talking about Miss Sarah Jessica Parker. And then the other lyric that is repeated throughout the theme song is... Laurels for spring. Groundbreaking. Which is, I guess it's obscured in our theme song, but probably from that drop, you know that it's Meryl Streep in Devil Wears Prada. And then we have... Okay, great, uh, great gowns, beautiful gowns. Which is Aretha Franklin talking about Taylor Swift. This was some interview where they did like a rapid fire thing where they just named random female celebrities and she could not think of a compliment. So she said, great gowns, beautiful Beautiful gowns. gowns. Oh, I always read that as more like Mariah Carey talking about, was it Jennifer Lopez? The like, I don't know her comment. Yeah. Well, it's kind of like that. It's definitely in the same world. Yeah. And then lastly... Fashion has changed. No, it hasn't. Which is Kathleen Turner and Patty Hearst in Serial Mom. In trying to answer this question, we went back to the original podcast folder that we gave to Jay, and we realized that there were a bunch of different clips that we desperately wanted in the theme (laughs) song, and it just wouldn't work. Fussy finished. Bussy finish. It's Polly Mellon, right? Yes. I had to watch all of Isaac Mizrahi's Unzipped, which was not a chore, (laughs) but I clipped so much shit from that documentary of which we use none of it. Yeah, I think the other thing I asked you to pull out was that Isaac Mizrahi line where he's like, something about women not wanting to dress like cows or something to that effect. (laughs) 
I also have uh, It's Giselle meets Flintstones. <laughs> so then there's this. Couldn't get Michael Kors if you was fucking Michael Kors. Wow. What an incredible line. Maybe a couple years in, we'll revamp the theme song and like start to put some of this stuff into it. I think that didn't work just because the pacing of it is so different than every other clip that we're using, but it is so good. This, of course, is a Nicki Minaj feature in some Big Sean song. I forget which one, but I feel like it's among her greatest. And then, I mean, it really breaks my heart that we could not work this into it. You don't understand. This is an alaya. And a what a? <sighs> like a totally important designer classic even if you know nothing about fashion you know that line but again it just didn't work for the theme song if you didn't know what alaya was before watching clueless you know about it now i think it was the choice was we're either putting florals for spring or this is an alaya you can't have both <laughs> yeah true a little on the nose and lastly we really did want to put this in i wasn't wearing louboutins i was wearing little brown kid meals the problem with this, although it is iconic, is there's nothing to clip out from it. You think you would, but you really need the entire run of Alexis Nyers calling Nancy Jo Sales after the Bling Ring Vandy Fair article screaming at her while she's being filmed for her reality show. <laughs> Do you remember when our so funny? Do you remember when our friend Whitney didn't know what we were talking about? When we showed her this clip. I think a lot of people aren't familiar with this particular <laughs> moment. These are very esoteric references apart from Nicki Minaj. Yeah, it's pretty it's pretty obscure, although I think more people should use this as their monologue for acting school. All right, on to the next call. Hi, I have three questions for you two, which are unrelated to anything other than the fact that I am re-listening to the pod from day one and can a non-dyke but a slutty bi girl wear the J'adore Dykes shirt? That's my first question. My second question is, what podcast do you two listen to? And my third question that I have had about Sex in the City for so fucking long is I'm pretty sure it's in season two. Carrie is wearing her hair straight. <laughs> Big gives her the fucking swan doc Judith Lieber purse. And um, she accidentally says, I love you. I have always wondered this, even before all the other Judith Lieber moments in this show. Why does she hate that purse? It is so something Carrie would carry, right? And then she has the fucking Eiffel Tower one in and just like that. Like, what the fuck? Can you two explain this, please? I'll let Chelsea answer the first question. So she's referring to the Jador Dykes tea that we made, I think, a year ago. I wanted to reissue them for Pride, but then I just kind of forgot. Maybe we'll do that <laughs> next year. But yes, if you're bisexual, of course you can wear a shirt that says Jador Dykes. I also noticed that last year a lot of gay men ordered them, which I think is really cute. Yeah, I think the only one that can't wear the Jador Dykes shirt is me. <laughs> and people like me. Well, whatever. I think you're good. It's okay. I My friend designed it. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on to podcasts. I'm interested to hear what you have to say, Lauren, because we listen to completely different podcasts. We may share a podcast, but I don't think there's a lot of overlap in terms of what we personally listen to. Yeah, I... I purposely didn't choose the podcast that I assume that we're both listening to because that would be overkill. So I have them broken up in different categories. So first would be movie-related podcasts. I just got done listening to the latest season of You Must Remember This. 
hosted by Karina Longworth. What I like about this podcast is it's true seasons about different topics. She's one of the best movie historians kind of working today in a contemporary sense. It's all about the history of the first century of film. This season was called Erotic 80s. It was all about the erotic thrillers of the 1980s, something I am, of course, particularly <laughs> interested in. She's going to pick it up in the fall with Erotic 90s. Fingers crossed that my dad gets mentioned. We'll see. <laughs> She's genius. I love You Must Remember This, although I have not listened to the latest season. You must. And then I still listen to How Did This Get Made, which was kind of my entry point into movie podcasts, but I've transitioned into We Hate Movies, which I even pay for their Patreon Ooh. at the $10 level. <laughs> I need to get those rewatch episodes of uh, 90210 and Melrose Plays. <laughs> and then news politics. I'm a basic bitch. I listen to the daily. <laughs> I'm feeling like Michael Barbaro. Those Is that how you say his name? Yeah. I'm feeling like him these days since we've had to record so many fucking podcasts this week. Oh, I thought you felt like Michael Barbaro because every time I just go on a rant about something, you just go, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> But I feel like I've been red-pilled a bit because I've gone from, like, the pod save guys to just listening to Chapo Trap House. (laughs) That checks out. (laughs) I, like, can't handle the pod save guys anymore. And their Jadora whiskey ad or whatever that is that they do. And then... Yeah, I haven't listened to that in years. Yeah, and then culture-wise, I would say Endless Honeymoon, which is... Moshe Kasher and Natasha Legero, two comedians who are married to each other. They take calls, very Loveline-esque, and they answer people's relationship issues and kind of talk about their life. And then occasionally Red Scare, and then... Okay, you can't just skip over that completely. (laughs) Can't I? I understand why you are, but I will join you. I will say that I, too, sometimes listen to Red Scare... I mean, we shouldn't front. Like, we do pay for their Patreon as well. (laughs) I think they are funnier than people give them credit for. I think that's lost in the discourse about them being extremely problematic. (laughs) And then lastly, Bitch Sesh, depending on if a Real Housewives franchise I watch is currently on. Yeah, they're very funny. And somehow I still have time to work (laughs) and do our own podcast while (laughs) listening to all of this. See, all the podcasts that I listen to, I feel like are kind of like ours in that they're best friend podcasts. Oh. You know, and they're pop culture, right? So I obviously am obsessed with Who Weekly, which is a great podcast. They report on obscure celebrity news. So if you're the kind of person that reads the Daily Mail a lot, you definitely <laughs> need to listen to this. It's it's not optional. I love Celebrity Book Club, which is a couple of friends that just read various celebrity memoirs and tell you about all of the juicy, interesting parts so you don't have to read the entire book. (laughs) And they're very funny. My friend Kate Jinks, who I love, who's the programmer of the Melbourne Film Festival, just started a podcast called See Also that's really incredible. They cover a lot of the same stuff that we do, like the same TV shows and movies and stuff like that. So I definitely recommend that. Except this time with Australian accents? Yes. Not Really is a podcast that I really like. They're on a hiatus, but you can definitely go through the archives. Love that. And then, of course, Oprah's Super Soul Conversations, which is a pillar of your existence. It is, and it does suck because... Now they're reissuing so many episodes that I've already listened to. But if you've never listened to it, 
go. Now's the perfect time. It's perfect. That's why How Did This Get Made has gone lower in my listening. But to be fair, they've been on for a decade, so they can recycle older episodes. Oh, there's also After Work Drinks, which my friend Isabel co-hosts, which is fab. That's like New Zealand and Australian hybrid. Ooh. But they cover fashion and pop culture and stuff too. So there you go. Happy listening. And then lastly, you're absolutely right, caller. I don't know why Carrie doesn't like this Judith Lieber bag. It seems like something (laughs) she would fuck with. Absolutely. It also is insane to me because I don't know if this episode aired before or after Bjork was in Dancer in the Dark and went to like 10,000 award shows carrying various ridiculous Judith Lieber clutches. It's just before because this episode's in 99 and then Bjork's Oscar dress is 2001. Right. Okay. So before, but still, in 99, it was still obvious that these bags are major. I think this is one of the things, and we've heard about this before, of Patricia Field clashing with Michael Patrick King, where it's like, Carrie needs to wear this, and it's like, but the story needs to go here. And I think that's one of those moments. Yeah. How do you think Judith Lieber felt about that? (laughs) I'm trying to think of what a better stuffy uptown bag would be. Yeah, because if he got her a Chanel flat bag, she would have loved that. Maybe something really old school, like some sort of little like Mark Cross something. Or like, was Ralph Lauren doing bags yet? Because that seems like a bag she would not be into. Yeah. She's kind of indiscriminate with bags, though. That's one thing about Carrie. She'll carry literally any style of handbag. Except evidently the Judith Lieber bag. Hi, Lauren. Hey, Chelsea. It's Joseph in New York. I want to know, what are your thoughts on the Carrie Diaries? Seems like it just hasn't come up in the podcast at all. And I'm just wondering, what did you two think of it? Is it canon or was it just a fever dream that I just fabricated in my mind? Is this the time where we have to admit that we have never seen the Carrie Diaries? I feel like we've (laughs) definitely been on record that we haven't seen it, but I feel like we don't need to have seen it to know that it's not canon. But wait, is it? Yeah, but we should watch it. We're fucking crazy for not having seen it. Isn't Austin Butler in that? Yeah. Okay. He's the Mr. Big of, he's not literally playing a young Mr. No, Big, but, but he is the primary love interest. Oh my God. Look how far he's come. Yeah. He's Elvis, which I want to see. Although I don't think there's any way that Baz Luhrmann's Elvis is better than Cher's Walking in Memphis music video. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, Do you remember that time during the 90s when she was just an Elvis drag king, like, constantly? I think she also performed as Elvis at Divas Live, to bring it back to Divas Live. But yes, we will watch The Carrie Diaries. Will we? (laughs) Yeah, why not? That's a good Patreon topic. I also think that we should reread the book, which I have not read since I was in high school. Because I would love someone to tell me what happens. And we could be those people oh, for right. our listeners. That's true. Hey, this is Carol. Love the podcast. Calling from Chicago. I love your podcast so much. I obviously signed up for your Patreon. And um, I noticed when going through your close friend story, when you posted um, a screenshot of your text with Lauren, you actually have a really nice contact photo of her. I'm used to just having really cursed images of my friends um, as they're contact photos so I just wanted to applaud you for being a really good friend or did you just change it for the purpose of the screenshot and sharing it I'm such a good friend 
Yes. Hello, hot, rich fuckettes. For those that subscribe to our Patreon, one of the benefits you get is being added to our close friends. And now what sort of happened is I will send text messages to Chelsea that sometimes she won't reply to. And then I will go on Instagram and see that she's just screen capped the conversation and put it on close friends. And it, it does fill me with some glee. I'm like, I guess you really did find it amusing. It was good enough to show. <laughs> yeah, to you show thought I ghosted just... you. <laughs> Because I literally did. To answer her question, because I have a question for you as well. My contact photo used to be a photo of me when I was 14 years old that you loved. Yeah. With me with like clear braces. And it was like very wins, cute. It was very cute. Hair. Did you change it just for the close friends? I didn't. But I don't remember when I changed it or why. I know that I did take that photo of you. So that is a photo of me right before I went to dinner with a friend at Chifa. And you were a great <laughs> Instagram boyfriend and took that photograph of me. Yeah. Thank you for making that my contact image. Um, I feel like I owe you an apology because you hate my contact photo for you. What is it? <laughs> it remains... <laughs> It's a slightly obscured photo, but one time you were FaceTiming with Tat at my house and like Love Honey had sent us vibrators <laughs> and you had a headache and we were discussing whether like the vibrations would help your headache. And so I had put the like hot pink vibrator like right, right in the center of your forehead. <laughs> and you've asked me several times to change Wait, it. Wait, let me see it. <laughs> one second. Um... There we go. <laughs> okay, that is so fucking rude. And I'm going to put that on close friends so you guys can see how hot Lauren looks in her photo <laughs> and how ugly I look in mine. I did say that I would change it when you send me a photo of you in junior high and that'll be the contact photo. <sighs> I'll just send you a photo the next time I like take a hot selfie or something. Please do. Which happens like once a year. <laughs> Mostly You're because I just hate taking selfies. Well, yeah, it's one of the worst feelings that one can have in our late stage capitalist culture. <laughs> <laughs> the need to photograph oneself. If Narcissus could see us all now. I know. Hi, so I'm watching season three, episode 18. So the season finale. And Samantha Jones says that her meatpacking studio is $7,000 a month. That's like over $11,000 a month in 2022 money. What? That does seem a little high. So like the caller, I went to inflationcalculator.com. I don't know when she left this call because inflation has been increasing, but $7,000 in the year 2000, which is when she moved to the meatpacking district, in 2022, that would be $11,881.95. Today, you could get a five-room, two-bedroom loft on 9th Avenue for $12,000. Damn. Also, Samantha would own. Well, if you're spending that much money on rent. Although, the cruelty of New York real estate is that even if you do own, you never don't pay rent because your building maintenance fees are exorbitant. Right, even if you put in all cash. It's hard for me to believe that Samantha doesn't have an amazing stock portfolio just from all the, like, finance bros she's fucked. Yeah. I like to imagine that she is like Vincent Gallo and is secretly a real estate mogul. Yeah, for sure. But wait, also, if anyone listening is fucking stockbrokers that are giving you hot tips, pass the tips along to us. <laughs> 
Or if anyone is a stockbroker for that matter. <laughs> Just invest our money for us. If I've learned anything from this podcast, surely one of our listeners' boyfriends is a finance bro and can help us. Yeah, anyone know about crypto? <laughs> What's going on with that? Hey, this is Liz, uh, stuck at from Atlanta, Georgia. And um, I have a birthday coming up, and I want y'all's advice on, like, a really fancy-ass bag that I should get um, based on what's come out recently or something classic that I should get. I don't know. Just, I need a bag. I want something badass. So... This voicemail came in a bit ago, so I'm sorry, caller. Your birthday has definitely come and gone. <laughs> okay. My thoughts are this. I'm going to break this down by budget just because I think this is easier. And obviously, designer bags are always expensive, but there's a range, right? We also, as much as we would love to know you, we don't know your style. We don't know the budget, so we're just going to kind of do a wide <laughs> swath. So if you're spending less than $500 on a bag, I would go with... A Marc Jacobs Heaven bag. Very, very cute. I love like a little Telfar bag, the tiny one, although obviously finding the color you want is a total bitch, but if you're willing to put in the time, worth it. I also am really obsessed with Marnie Market, which is like a subdivision of Marnie that makes like cheap, woven, fun bags. They're really, really cute and uh, look way more expensive than they are. So I recommend that. Over $500, I would go with J.W. Anderson. Okay. expensive but much cheaper than Lueve which is very expensive and like lots of beautiful options and since a lot of them are like kind of wacky and weird you can definitely find a good JW bag on sale at any given time pretty much I would also say if it's not about a newer bag for you, truly going on the real real, although there's been some controversy about authentication when it comes to certain bags, but I feel like hitting up like what I've had it, my eye on is the Dior kind of bondage lace bags from the early 2000s, mm -hmm. which is something that you can get for over 500, but less than a thousand. Yeah, that's cute. Yeah, or a true Jackie bag or those Tom Ford era Gucci bags. Or like a little, I love like a, a Louis Vuitton Papillon. I don't have one, but I've always wanted one and they're discontinued. And that's something that's cute that you can buy on one of those resale sites. But I think if you're spending upwards of $1,000 on a bag, for me personally, I would go to Balenciaga or Margiela, although that's just my personal taste. But I also think that Prada is timeless. Prada is timeless. What I like about Prada Gucci, I've noticed more designers have been kind of, I wouldn't say reusing, but it's not like every season there's a new bag. They're, they're taking concepts like the Clio bag and you're seeing it season after season in different styles. Yeah. I will say, we're not going to tell you what bags to buy, but I will say like, if you do get a Gucci bag, like maybe don't get the Marmonds. I don't think that's going to last forever. I think you might. I don't know. I think they're still cute. <laughs> but if you are going to shop designer, I know that it's an experience and I've had bad shopping experiences in luxury stores. So I was just going to give my tips for going and it would be maybe not on a Saturday. I've gone when the shops have opened on a weekday, if you can do it. And it's very pleasant. People are very chill. If you get talked to poorly by a sales associate, it like fucks up your entire day, or at least it has for me. So I'm just trying to give some tips here. First world problems. She wants a designer bag. <laughs> just order one on the internet. That's the answer to your question. 
That or designer stores that are in malls, I find, are oftentimes nicer than if you're in a metropolitan city and their own stores. Really? Yeah. Hmm. And also, please call back and let us know what you got. Yeah, what bag did you get? I'm sure she's like, these fucking bitches, I waited, my birthday came and went. Hey, Lauren. Hey, Chelsea. Just got done listening to your Met episode. Long time um, consumer of your content um, and sharer of your contact with friends. Shout out to Chloe and Kemi if you are playing this. They are also listeners. Um, I was just reaching out because I heard you mention potentially wanting an intern at some point. And luck may have it, I'm quitting my job next month um my qualifications would be that i enjoy everything you talk about on a personal level as well and that i have been a inner city public school teacher for eight years so there is literally nothing i can't do so recently i brought up the idea to lauren about getting a paid intern to help us with stuff and she was like absolutely not like you get canceled for that now no 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 no. you said we should get an intern and i said we'd get canceled for that and you said we would pay them and i said oh okay like i think interning is on its way out though yeah i mean essentially what we would have is a part-time employee (laughs) (laughs) i believe that's what a paid internship is is a part-time job Yeah, because a paid internship is like, we'll pay you, but barely, and we'll buy you a sweet green salad. Which we will buy you a sweet green salad. (laughs) I don't know if interning for us is that interesting or working for us is that interesting. No, it's definitely not. It's definitely not. What would we have this person do other than go through the Sex and the City series and screen cap (laughs) everything? I have some ideas. Oh. You interned, right? Of course. We all interned and no one- Where did you intern? I interned at a place called Art and Commerce. I was very... Oh, of course. I was very lucky where I actually did get a paid part-time job starting in my freshman year of college. I worked at the now defunct, I believe, Liz Claiborne. But at (laughs) one time, Liz Claiborne was so gigantic. This is when Tim Gunn was... um, What would you even call him? He was just like a paid consultant? Yeah. He was like (laughs) the the artist in residence at Liz Claiborne. (laughs) I worked at their dedicated design floor, so it was all inspiration. So every fashion magazine, every archive of a fashion magazine, every trend forecasting magazine, every single book, it was astonishing. Wait, at Liz Claiborne or at Art and Commerce? Because it seems like that would be the vibe there too. No, at Liz Claiborne. It was for all of, because at that time, it's when they had Juicy, they had Lucky Brand, they had a bunch of different things. So I was essentially a librarian, so I would also spend a lot of time just like going through books and magazines and Xeroxing stuff. That's fun. So I got paid to do that. Otherwise, it would be an internship. And then, yeah, I I did too. (laughs) I also I also got paid to do research. I know, but you had much cooler internships than I did. Well, I interned for Amanda Brooks, who is a writer and at the time a consultant. She then became the fashion director of Barney's before moving to England and uh, starting a very cute home goods store. But she did start paying me and I did a lot of photo research for her and put together presentations and stuff for all of the brands that she consulted for. And then I interned at the Chanel PR department in New York. This I remember. Which was a time. And 
I interned at V Magazine and Visionaire, which is what led me to get the job at V Files. And that was a very similar thing. I was basically just doing research. And that's what I was doing to make money through college and directly after college anyway. Yeah, I know. Your internships actually led to jobs. I oddly had jobs. And then the one internship I had at Art and Commerce, which it's a photo agency, but yeah. they, represent, they represent stylists photographers, all of that. And then they did production stuff. And then I graduated in 2010 and they had a hiring freeze. So I was... Uh, That's a very cool place to intern though. It was. I used to walk from my apartment in the East Village to their offices every day. Doing hot girl walks before hot girl walks. I don't even want to know what that is. Did we answer the question? Can this girl <laughs> be our intern? Well, again, some time has gone by. So I assume that she has other commitments now. All right, moving on. Hey Lauren, hi Chelsea, this is Diane. Hope you're both well. Big, big, big fan of you both and the pod. Um, bit random, but I just wondered what your favorite music placement is on Sex and the City. Let me know. Lots of love. I think we're both probably going to have the same answer. I actually don't think we will. Okay, what's yours? Well, I assume this to mean like a needle drop. So I had Sade's By Your Side. Okay, I definitely didn't pick that. Yeah. <laughs> This is when Richard and Samantha are dancing after they've just gotten out of the pool. Uh-huh. This of is course. The... You don't need to explain oh, it to I'm me. <laughs> and then uh, this is the Good Fight episode, because this is, this is all about secret single behavior. And for Samantha, who doesn't have any of that, her SSB is sexy swimming behavior, which is Carrie's voiceover during the scene. And then Carrie comes home, and Aiden's just reading a book, and she's like, hey, for the first hour, don't talk to me. And he's like, okay. She's like, I'm just going to be behind this curtain. And then she can't handle it. They're hugging. And then her and the Roberto Cavalli top that she wouldn't throw away when she's walking down the brownstone steps. Okay. Is there music in here somewhere? Yeah. It's all, that's all score to Sade's by your oh, side. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm just explaining. Sorry, I didn't you... realize it continued beyond oh, yeah. that scene. I just rewatched that scene. I was like, wow, this goes on for far <laughs> longer than I thought. So what did you think we were both going to pick? You've got the love. Oh, well, Which is the best. Yeah. But I get that that's a really basic and boring answer. Of course, I also love Got to Be Real, used very memorably in the fashion show sequence where Carrie falls on her face. And uh, I think the cheesiest one may be whenever they're doing that trapeze shit and I think Michelle Branch's song Breathe starts to play. That's like I'm in another show. That's like I've changed channels and I'm now at the WB. That's what I was going to say, too. Yeah, I think one of the things that makes Sex in the City timeless, and we do often make fun of all of the music that is just seeped in the late 70s and early 80s, but it does make the show timeless because when they use contemporary music for the early 2000s, you're like, ugh. <laughs> I could almost see the Gap ad from 2003 just coming up from my head. Yeah, it is weird that they really did shy away from music from the period, though. Thank God they did. It completely dates it. Yeah, but if they had a better music supervisor that picked good songs from the time period, it would have made the show better. I do like that they just decided that the show would be all about disco and, and leaned into that. Hey, Lauren and Chelsea. I was thinking about what you guys said last week about how the 90s had so much mainstream fashion content. And it made me think fondly of the now defunct Lucky magazine. Do you guys remember this magazine? It was a Condé Nast publication. It was in circulation from 2000 to 2015. And it was like 
the bridge between editorial and car. Like, they would show photos from the runway, and then they would show off-the-rack options inspired by the runway look in various price points. I think they, they advertise themselves as the magazine about shopping. Anyway, I was a loyal subscriber, probably for the whole 15 years. And I always figured the reason they folded was because it was the age of blogging, and they probably lost a lot of their readership to the internet, but I miss it. And I I just thought that if anyone might wish to join me in a moment of silence for Lucky, it would be you guys. This call, we did discuss this briefly on the Anna Wintour Patreon episode because Lucky Magazine was under Condé Nast and post-financial crisis when it was really struggling, their answer was to put Anna Wintour as a consultant who just wanted to make it more luxurious, which is not the vibe of Lucky. Fashion magazines show us the unattainable. Lucky shows you like what you would actually buy. And as the caller points out, I don't know if fashion bloggers took over for that, but Allure has had a, a pivot where it's become relevant again that I feel like Lucky could have done. It does, although Allure is so thin. I know. It's razor thin. I've never seen a thinner magazine than Allure. I'm like, are you guys okay? Like, how long can this keep going on? I was a Lucky Magazine subscriber. Same. I believe they phased this out, but in the earliest of early issues, they had stickers, right? That you could put, yeah. like, want it, love it. I don't think they ever got rid of that. That was the best part. Yeah. And you'd stick them on the things you want. Yeah, love it, maybe. Yeah. Like, must have. It was perfect for the Delia's catalog type of girl. When I was researching this, I went back and they have a, a scan of one of the articles and it was all of that like one pair of chinos four ways. And it's like, am I romantic? Am I classic? Am I eclectic? No, the best thing that Lucky Magazine ever did were those stories where it would be a wardrobe of basically 20 pieces. Right. And they would somehow make a hundred looks yeah. out of these same 20 pieces. You're like, how is that possible? It's possible. I mean, so much of Pinterest content, I feel like, are those clothing boards that Lucky Magazine used to do. Well, it also makes more sense now, right? Because yeah. I want someone to edit and editorialize the internet. There's a girl that's really popular on TikTok. Actually, I don't know how popular she is, but she shows up on my For You page and I started following her and she went viral by identifying celebrity style with three words, like decoding people's style. And that felt so Lucky Magazine, where it's like romantic, classic, eclectic. I have not heard the word eclectic since the <laughs> early 2000s in Lucky Magazine. I also want to note that Kim France, who was the editor-in-chief of Lucky Magazine, has a podcast called Everything is Terrible. I forget who she co-hosts it with, but... It's a podcast for women over 40, although I don't know if you really have to be over 40. They definitely talk about a lot of things that I care about. So she's doing that. And she was also an old school sassy magazine editor back in the day. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Who worked at like a lot of magazines before getting that lucky job. And I believe being fired from lucky. Let us have a moment of silence. Hey, Chelsea. Hey, Lauren. This is Jane calling you from the Upper West Side. First of all, I love your show. It was literally the top podcast in 2021 for me. No surprise there. It will literally be the top one in 2022. I, uh, I wanted to t your take about a mundane but troubling part of the original Sex and the City series. So in the first episode of season four, when we go to El Cantonore for Carrie's 35th birthday, 
The reservation is for 10 people. While I can understand the setup that holding a large table for too long in New York would make for the frustration of any hostess, an adorable waiter, followed by the ultimate abandonment of her dinner, who are the other five friends that never called and never showed up? Sure, the girls in Stanford account for five seats. That is five. I had to rewatch this to make it adamantly clear that no one was in a relationship at the time, and it has haunted me to this day. Who were the other five people? I've never thought about this. This is a great question. <laughs> yeah, who was there? You're right. None of them had boyfriends at the time. Anthony, possibly. Susan Sharon? Amelita, if she's in town. I know the last time that we see Carrie have a birthday party, I believe is in season two, and that's when Susan Sharon's invited... They invite Big, who invites his friend. So I don't know, maybe... I know earlier in this episode that she's referring to... I believe it's Samantha that asks about Big. Ooh, or maybe it's Tatum O'Neill's character. Oh, yeah. Hmm. Have we got five? Hold on. Amelita, Susan Sharon, Tatum O'Neill's character that isn't introduced <laughs> to us till season six, Anthony, and I want to say Enid, but Enid's not going to happen for like another six or eight months. You know what? Her new... Her New York Star editor that we've never seen before. Five. Oh, Boom. we met him once. Remember, Carrie and Charlotte were sitting at some sort of outdoor cafe and they were deciding like oh, yeah. which man they would sleep with. Oh, like, right. Which guys. So yeah, him. He was I, there. And Charlotte's in the pink Carrez jacket. Yes. So um, that's what we're going with. Hi, guys. I'm calling mid-podcast because you guys said, is this the first time that Christopher Walken's been gay? And I feel like I'm an expert in this subject. Um... And I don't know if this qualifies as gay, but I feel like it's definitely clear because he was the husband to John Travolta in drag in Hairspray, which is an iconic film. I can't believe you guys forgot, but I guess Lauren doesn't like musicals, so maybe that's why. Thank you for assuming that I have not seen Hairspray because I hate musicals. I actually have. I've seen both of them. And Chell, I'm going to ask maybe a dumb question, but while John Travolta is in drag as Edna, which is the role that Divine originated... I thought that in the world of the film, he's a, that's a woman. Yeah. So he's not gay. Yeah, but it's just being in this kind of movie is kind of inherently <laughs> gay. I think this counts for sure. All right, I'll, I'll go with that. Um, can, we, can we give a shout out to our favorite Christopher Walken roles? Okay, sure. If you love Christopher Walken, I would recommend a film called King of New York by Abel Ferrara. It's a great crime film. It's a great Christopher Walken performance where it's unhinged Christopher Walken, but really good. He hasn't gone like full tilt Nicolas Cage Al Pacino, mm -hmm. cuckoo Christopher Walken. I also have to say his cameo at Annie Hall. Oh, yes. Iconic. Which I think we need to play a bit of the dialogue here. Sometimes when I'm driving on the road at night, I see two headlights coming toward me. Fast, I have this sudden impulse to turn the wheel quickly, head on into the oncoming car. I can anticipate the explosion, the sound of shattering glass, the flames rising out of the flowing gasoline. That is truly one of the funniest moments of that film, when he's being driven home. Right, after doing that. So good. Yeah, he is great in a bit part that just steals the entire thing. I mean, obviously Pulp Fiction. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. yeah. I'm also going to throw in the Fat Boy Slim Weapon of Choice music video. Yes. I loved when that Kenzo ad with Margaret Qualley came out 
and people on Twitter who know no history were like, um, this guy that directed this Kenzo video stole this concept from the Christopher Walken Weapon of Choice video. It's like, hey, 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 directed by the same person. This is kind of his thing. You know who stole the concept for that video was Taylor Swift when she did that music video for Delicate that was basically like a phoned-in version of the Margaret Qualley ad. God damn. Not that that song isn't incredible, but... I know we deride perfume commercials because they could be amazing, but that... That was an amazing commercial. Yeah. Hi, Chelsea and Lauren. Uh, Big fan uh, calling in. Um, I just wanted to say two things. First off, thank you so much for every outfit. Um, I listen to you every morning. (laughs) I kind of re-listen to some podcasts, and you guys are just a really fun, nice way to start the day. So thank you for creating this account and this podcast and this space on the internet where we can nerd out about Sex and the City and all things pop culture. Second of all, I was re-watching Sex and the City and I was watching the season, I think it's season five with Carrie's short hair where obviously SJP is pregnant. And they're at Richard's summer house having a party in the Hamptons that Samantha's throwing. And Samantha makes such a good Uh, one-liner insult to the cocoa butter bitches and that line has stuck with me over the years and I've used cocoa butter bitches in so many social situations and I was wondering what your favorite one-liners from Sex and the City was. Before we get into our favorite one-liners question when people re-listen to our episodes are there ones in particular because when we embarked on this podcast because it is a weekly pop culture rundown. I really never imagined that people would go back and listen to older episodes. It feels just very ephemeral. Yeah. Uh, so if it's also scary because like, what did we talk about? uh, It's terrifying. It's also horrifying that when people start listening to the podcast, they go back to the first episode, which is arguably probably the worst episode. I don't know. I haven't listened to it since. But anyway, if you if you are someone that likes to re-listen to our episodes, can you let us know, is there one in particular? Should I be doing like a highlight show of the best bits we've done? Wait, the best bits that we've done? What do you mean? Like putting an episode together that's just like the bits that people like that we've talked about all in one show. It seems like a great task for our intern. <laughs> our, our page. So you want to make a sizzle reel of a podcast? That's the weirdest thing I've ever heard of. Not a sizzle reel, but like, I feel like after almost two years of recording, we can just take a week off and do an episode of like things from our past. And by the way, you, you don't mean our intern, you mean our, our future paid part-time employee. Yes. Okay. What are your favorite Sex in the City one-liners though? <sighs> Fuck me badly once, shame on you. Fuck me badly <laughs> twice, shame on me. Mine is also Samantha, which is, if I worried what every bitch in New York was saying about me, I'd never leave the house. Yeah, I mean, I also have the good ones screw you, the bad ones screw you, and the rest don't know how to screw you. Which, she's talking about lovers, and I think she's talking about Burger and that scene, but um, that also goes for life as well. (laughs) It's true. I was wondering if you guys could recommend a couple of summer readings, like, fashion history or books related to fashion that you guys are into or maybe read at school that you would recommend to someone looking into the field so i've kind of broken stuff up by categories broken what up fashion book recommendations i went deep on this one (laughs) okay go for it 
I think in regards to history of fashion, it's hard to find. They're either like coffee table books. Which you can and should read. A lot of people don't. Which those, you But can... we're more talking about book books. Yeah. So under like history of fashion stuff that I think is worth reading is Battle of Versailles. Of course. Robin Givens book. Fabulous. And then I have people that have worked in the fashion industry biographies or memoirs. So like Grace Coddington's memoir, Andre Leontali's memoir. But, but if you're doing Andre Leontali's, I cannot recommend the audio book enough. Yeah. It's the only way to read that book. I would say Anna Wintour's book, you don't need to read. Perhaps instead of spending $20 on the hardcover, give us $5 for our Patreon and we'll tell you the most interesting parts of the book. So rude to the author. It's not a bad book. You just like were bored by it. I wasn't bored by it, but I'm just saying it's like if my options are to spend $20 on the hardcover or pay someone $5 <laughs> who I find amusing to begin with the funniest parts of the book, I would do that. Sure. I would say a deeper cut, not for your first foray, but Diana Vreeland's memoir or Dion. Mm -hmm. See, I think the better Diana Vreeland book is Diana Vreeland memos, which is literally just her memos from when she worked at Vogue. That is the funniest, juiciest, craziest shit. I recommend that to anyone. And I also love the Aussie Clark Diaries, which is like essential, especially if you care about British fashion and 1960s celebrities and that kind of shit. Speaking of which, I would say honorable mentions would be Joan Juliet Buck's memoir, Price of Illusion. Joan Juliet Buck was the editor-in-chief of French Vogue before Karine Reutfeld. She has had one of the most eccentric lives ever. Best Friends with Angelica Houston is the one that introduced Angelica Houston to Bob Richardson. <laughs> and then another honorable mention would be Angelica Houston's book i think volume which one two i think volume two no no disrespect to to her childhood which was very interesting being the daughter of john houston but also i feel like the beautiful fall is just required reading so that's my next category which would be oh. <laughs> which would be gossipy fashion history where the beautiful fall which is all about paris in the 70s and the rivalry between yves Laurent and karl lagerfeld how has that not been optioned for a feud, like a Ryan Murphy feud? Absolutely. And then I would say House of Gucci, <laughs> as has been my crusade since the release of House of Gucci. There is so much in the book that is not covered in the film. Truly, it could have its own limited series. Also, Gods and Kings, which is about Galliano and McQueen in the 90s. And then I've never read this book, but it came up when I was looking up some of these books, which is Champagne Supernovas. Oh, I read that. <laughs> is it worth reading? Shall we recommend this? Yes, it's worth reading for sure just for the gossip. It is very gossipy. It is about Kate Moss, Mark Jacobs, McQueen. I think just the three of them, yeah? Things I learned from it, the only things I remember. <laughs> Alexander McQueen had a giant photo of an asshole above his bed. <laughs> Um, they got into his sex life, which was pretty dark, uh, pretty dark. Same with Kate Moss. You know, they got into the orgy at her 30th birthday party. They got into the fact that there's one part where they were like, she would just stand outside a bathroom door and just like ask random people to fuck her like crazy shit like that. Anyway, so worth a read. Yeah, I would say that's probably the the beachiest of beach reads of these fashion <laughs> recommendations. 
Yeah, and all the stuff about Mark Jacobs is is fascinating. He had a very dark and, and complex childhood. Yeah, I would yeah, I recommend that for sure. That's a real that's a perfect beach read, actually. There you go. Hope that helps. Hi, ladies. Um, love the pod. I am looking for some relationship advice, I guess. I've been seeing the same well, I've been seeing him. We I've been like fuck buddies with the same guy for like two years, just super casual. Don't really have any strong ties to him but I just I met a guy randomly and we went out and had a great time but I think they're really good friends and I'm just curious on if I should tell the date guy like oh also like I think I know your friend but then like how do I explain where how I know him or do I just be upfront about it or do I just like keep it to myself and see where it goes I don't know I don't even know if this is what this hotline is for but figured I'd give it a call okay bye while the hotline is not expressly for dating advice, we could not be more thrilled to receive this call. Please call in with your dating questions. I guess before we answer this question, I have a question for myself for this caller. I would like to know how you were able to fuck someone for almost two years and not catch feelings. Like, I need a lesson. I think that's definitely possible. That's what fuck buddies should be, are for in theory, you know? They should actually just be buddies. I guess my point is I understand fucking someone that you don't want to be in a relationship with, but if you've hung around someone that you've been fucking con semi-consistently for two years that you like enough to hang out with, it, that would be hard for me to separate those feelings. But this I can separate those feelings. <laughs> I mean, my previous self could separate those feelings. I mean, you know, there's two kinds of people, I guess. <laughs> One of my friends I was just talking to has had a fuck buddy for like nine years now. Wow. Pretty crazy. Anyway, I don't think that she should bring it up. I don't either. Because you can't like, you don't want to lead with that before you've had sex with someone. It would be one thing like after... And there's, I guess, one clarification I need, which is like, are you st still currently fucking the fuck buddy while you're going on the dates with the guy? Oh, see, I got the sense that she was no longer fucking the fuck buddy. And if that's the case, yeah, don't tell him. Yeah. And then you got a nice, like, Shonda Rhimes-esque storyline going for you. When, <laughs> uh, if you do end up seriously dating the other, I'll call him the date guy, and then you get introduced to the fuck buddy. Hijinks ensue. But yeah, guys, please leave more dating questions on the hotline. Hello, wonderful, beautiful ladies. I am calling because I need advice. I'm moving to New York City, Manhattanville area, this Friday. And obviously, I've been watching Sex and the City on repeat nonstop. But I realized that I need modernized, realistic advice. And who better to ask than the two people who have lived there and are just so fabulous. So I couldn't help but wonder... What should I do to make living in New York more amazing? Should I buy Vogue instead of groceries because it feeds me more? Should I date New York? Please let me know. It's hard because I no longer live there and every time I go, <laughs> so much of the shit that I loved is gone. But I would say fabulous things to do. I love the unicorn tapestries at the Cloisters. I think that's fabulous. Definitely go to the Come to Garçon store on 22nd Street. Very fabulous. Go to the Manhattan Vintage Fair when it's happening. Go to Via Carota. You'll probably see Sarah Jessica Parker and Andy Cohen having dinner. Go to like all of those establishment restaurants downtown like Odeon, Indochine, Mr. Chow. That shit's amazing. Go see movies at like Film Forum or the Angelica or the IFC Center. 
go see a Broadway show. That's fabulous. Go to Sardi's, go to Bar Central afterwards, go to Flaming Saddles after that, go to Joe's Pub and see Justin Vivian Bond, and uh, go get a drink at the Russian Tea Room. Ooh, yeah, that's a good classic thing to do. I think the joy of moving to New York as hellish as it's always been, and that's one of the joys, and it seemingly continues to be if I understand what's going on with the rent. The joy of living in New York when you do is finding your version of New York. So what's your coffee shop? What are the restaurants you love? Like, obviously, what we've given our establishment places, I would say a place that has always had immaculate vibes is Cafe Mogador. That would be one of my recommendations. But just walk. Walk everywhere. Yeah. Also, go to museums. Go to the Guggenheim because Carrie was never able to. Go to the Whitney downtown because that's fabulous. And then you can do a whole Sex in the City thing and go to Pastis. Which is blessedly <laughs> reopened. I guess what we wouldn't recommend doing is, of course, don't uh, buy Vogue instead of eating dinner. And if you're going to do that, don't buy American Vogue. Buy like Italian Vogue or something. Or British Vogue. That'll British keep Vogue. you fed far longer. Hey, ladies. This is Pete from Los Angeles. Big fan of the podcast. I was listening to the latest episode, and when Chelsea let off her commentary on the Batman by declaring it too wet, I nearly did a spit take, in part because I couldn't help but think, and I had to do just a little bit of digging to find the exact moment, all the way back to episode five, when, while talking about a time to kill and a time for mercy, Chelsea very rightly calls out the fact that Ashley Judd's character in that movie is dripping with sweat. And in fact, the whole cast is, but like in a good way. And that made me think that you might be onto something. So I propose for the Patreon a deep dive into your favorite and least favorite dripping, sweaty, soaking wet moments from film and television. Obsessed with <laughs> this question. <laughs> The question I didn't know I needed, but I've been waiting for my entire life. I have, of course, separated sweat films and rain films, so let me know. <laughs> Do swimming pool movies enter into yours? Because that was also something I thought about. So here's a rare sweat wet film, and that would be Wild Things. Because yes. it's a swampy movie, but then there's <laughs> a lot so of sweaty. It's a lot of swimming pool ocean action going on. It's time to kill level sweaty. Also, I want to say someone called in and was like, how can you guys watch this film more than once? It's so terrible and brutal. Oh, and, a time to kill. And I do agree. And I just want you guys to know, it's not like I'm just compulsively watching a time to kill. It's that a time to kill is on television all the time. Am I going to come in halfway through? Yes. Do I love Matthew McConaughey, Sandra Bullock, and the entire cast? Absolutely. But I'm not recommending this to anyone because it is so fucked up. Also, watching it on TNT allows you to <laughs> have a, full, a fuller experience because they cut out the very traumatic scene in the beginning. And the times that you and I have rewatched it, which, to be fair, the last time that you and I sat down to rewatch it was the day of Trump's inauguration. So that's going back almost five years. And we absolutely fast-forwarded through the scene we will not mention, which is the inciting incident of the film. But guess what? You watch it once, never need to see it again. No. Okay, so 
Other sweat films I have do the right thing. Oh, so sweaty. I have that's uncomfortably sweaty though yeah. for me. That's too that's almost too sweaty. Maybe it's because I lived in New York and that's yeah. like more personal for me than like a time to kill or wild things. I'll also add Top Gun is a very sweaty film. <laughs> and then an honorable mention of like sweat having an integral part of the plot would be Mission Impossible One. Okay. That famous scene where he's going down by the cable and it's going to set the alarm off if he sweats and you see that bead of sweat come down, he catches it in his hands. Oh, yeah. Do you have more sweat films? The only sweat film that's really coming to mind for me is Personal Best, which is a lesbian movie where Mariel Hemingway plays like an Olympic like track runner or whatever that's called. Track star. This was definitely mentioned on uh, You Must Remember This, the Erotic 80s series. Yeah, it's great. And then Rain Films, I have seven. Seven is my favorite. (laughs) It's raining throughout that entire movie. Yeah. Uh, I also include Jurassic Park. Jurassic Park is so fucking rainy. Remember that scene where Newman from Seinfeld gets eaten? Yeah, because it's raining, basically. And that was because the animatronic people that got the T-Rex to work were like, hey, Steven Spielberg, we got it to work. It looks so realistic. The only thing is it can't get wet. So no rain scenes. And he was like, I heard you. The majority of the film is now going to take place (laughs) in the rain. Blade Runner as well is a very rainy film. Mm. But that is mostly to cover up the fact that they were shooting 2019 Los Angeles on the back lot of Warner Brothers. And you could see the mountain ranges in the background. And then a film that I would watch on cable, but I have not watched in a long time, Hard Rain with Christian Slater. (laughs) I've never seen that. I believe the plot of the film is uh, Morgan Freeman's trying to rob a bank during a historic like flooding rainstorm. That sounds pretty good. Yeah. It's a perfect TNT film to watch with your dad on a Sunday afternoon. (laughs) Anyway, if we missed any uh, wet films, whether they're sweat or rain, please let us know. (laughs) And you guys didn't think we would do this for this episode, but you better believe we got Kardashian questions. Therefore, it's time for the theme. Kardashaholics Anonymous. This is a case for the FBI. Hi, Chelsea and Lauren. Um, I'm listening to your Kardashian roundup of your last episode, and I'm not even a Kardashian fan, but I do know because I recently looked into this um, that Black China is one of the highest monthly earners on OnlyFans. So I don't think she needs that rob money as much as we might think because she is like possibly the number one. I can't remember. Also, exercise caution looking at top earners on OnlyFans websites. It's like horrible pop-ups, like a website from 1992. All right. Thanks. Love you guys. Bye. See, I told you that Black China had some crazy hustle. Yeah, I mean, this isn't surprising. I will say that I have no doubt that she makes a ton of money from OnlyFans if she is in the top 1%. I have a friend who's in the top 1% of OnlyFans. I know how much they make a month. But then there's also a hierarchy where it's not just enough to be the top 1%. There's the people who are like the top 0.5%, the top 0.2% of OnlyFans. So I think Black China is making at least six figures a month. So this claim that they're trying to bankrupt her is bullshit because she's making more than that on a monthly basis yeah but would you want to give that to the kardashians (laughs) no but 
If I was Black China, I also wouldn't want people to think that I'm one Chris Jenner lawsuit away from being destitute. The only question I now have is one of the things I remember from the court case between Black China and the Kardashian Jenners is it was revealed during the court proceedings that Black China doesn't have a bank account. So it's like, where is she cashing <laughs> out this OnlyFans money? Maybe that's the issue. Hmm. It's all in her OnlyFans piggy bank. Crazy. Which don't do that. They can seize your money. <laughs> Transfer that money immediately. <laughs> okay, first off, your hotline message when people call is just incredible. And I'm so impressed. Didn't think I would ever have any interesting commentary worth sharing. But I'm watching uh, episode two of The Kardashians. And I can't help but comment on the scene where they're going to Kylie's house and there's a chicken coop and it's so cute and quaint that she keeps chickens and Chloe is like oh my god look there's eggs and they show they show her like lifts the little chicken coop lid and reveal these chicken eggs that are just spotless okay I'm sorry I'm white trash from Alabama when a chicken egg comes out of a chicken it is not like immaculate and store-bought they literally went to fucking whole foods or something and got beautiful chicken eggs and just put them in this fake chicken coop for this scene because that's not what happens i'm sorry not what it looks like anyway this maybe is the tequila talking but that was worth mentioning i really loved this call because as a country girl, I really should have noticed this. And as someone that grew up with chickens, that got the eggs every day from the chicken coop, yes, there have never been chicken eggs this clean. This is unrealistic. Well, I'm sure you didn't clock it because they have wranglers for everything. I'm sure they have a chicken coop wrangler. I'm sure within Los Angeles and all the celebrities that think it's so chic to have a chicken coops, there is one person that is just a celebrity chicken coop wrangler decorator and they are the ones going from celebrity compound to celebrity compound cleaning the eggs producing <laughs> they're just staging the chicken yes. coop it's also possible because that scene in the kardashians is so bizarre because it's not as if chloe is coming over to see kylie chloe is with malika going to Kylie's house where Kylie's not there to get eggs from the chicken coop. So I don't doubt that they have um, a chicken coop stylist, <laughs> but also I, I wouldn't be surprised for that scene that the producers set everything up and then had to send a PA to go to Whole Foods or whatever to get eggs that could be beautifully, artfully chicken coop eggs. They needed like a prop stylist though to just get some hay and some yeah. chicken poo and just really like make it look realistic. Also, I want to note that we got a couple of calls about Khloe Kardashian's cookies because oh. we had discussed like, does she replace the cookie? Like, how does that work? Apparently, she released a YouTube video where she says that she throws them out once a month. So that's a month's worth of cookies. And she said that she doesn't replenish them like as people are eating them. No, I was eagle-eyed. I watched every second of this video again and again. She doesn't say she throws them away. She says, oh, at each month I replenish the jars, which leads you to believe any of the cookies that are left, yes, get thrown away. Yeah, though she dumps out the whole jar. It's... She's not just replenishing the top because no one will ever get to the bottom. 
It's so wasteful. <laughs> what do you think is more excessive? Chloe's cookie jar or Chris Jenner's new see-through green refrigerator? Chris Jenner's green. Just because that stuff is yeah. much more perishable. That's yeah. just dying at a faster rate. That's an amount of produce that like the Four Seasons in Maui needs to feed all of the people staying there in high season. <laughs> this has been fun. This was great, actually. I want to do, yeah, let's do more of these. But that means that you guys actually have to call and leave us messages. According to you, good messages or we won't be doing this. Well, it's not even that. Like, there's a lot of good messages that just, like, didn't work for whatever reason. Too much time had gone by. They were specific to and just like that. Like, stuff like that. I feel like this is going to become a thing. Also, I want to mention, it is so funny how many people drunk dial us oh yeah and how many voicemails we get that start with like i'm so fucked up right now which is great <laughs> keep sending them hopefully we can get enough that we can do an entire drunk episode Ooh. where everyone calling in is drunk and then we can be drunk while we answer Responding questions to the questions a drunk episode i love that so I remember that the next time you're drunk my favorites are because we receive notifications about the messages in chronological order. So sometimes when we listen to them, often people that leave drunk messages leave multiple messages. Oh, always. And the one that we end up hearing first, because it's delivered in chronological <laughs> order, is the person going, I'm so sorry. I left you like three messages. I was so fucked up. Please don't listen to them. Which, by the way, almost guarantees we're going to listen to them. <sighs> All right, guys, you know what to do. Give us a call at 323-486-6773. See you next week, guys. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> <laughs>